Uh, Larry told me you guys have been going through a series on the parables of Christ. And this particular parable, if you want to put your finger into Matthew 20, that's where we're going to be predominantly. Um, But you may also want to see, we're going to refer over to Romans 12. So let me read this for us, this parable that is very interesting and causes some frustration for people when they read it. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, we'll pray, and then jump into the message. So this is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now, this is really an interesting parable in a lot of ways. Now you notice at the very beginning, Christ says, the kingdom of God is like this. So it's so predominantly, it's supposed to be a parable about the kingdom of God. And the first thing we're going to do when we go through this morning, and by the way, I apologize, I forgot to bring outlines. I'll try to refer back to really a two-part outline in here carefully. But the first thing we're going to do is look at what this is teaching us about the kingdom of God. And it is teaching us about the kingdom of God. So we're going to spend some time hearing what it teaches us about the kingdom of God. But Jesus could have taught about the kingdom of God in a lot of ways, especially when we look at what we see in it. The structure of this story does more than that. For the audience that he had, and we're going to place ourselves into that group of people who were listening, people who were trying to hear the word, this parable, to me, is really remarkable in the way that it, it draws us in to realize some sinfulness in us, even when we are amongst the workers, those who have been called in. And so, the first thing we'll do is talk about what this says about the kingdom of God. That sets us up to hear, when we know the goodness of the gospel and the grace of God, it gets us prepared to be able to hear some hard messages about ourselves that would otherwise be really, really destructive and maybe even impossible. So let's pray. Then we'll start off with what we learn here about the kingdom of God in the parable as Christ has given to us. And then we'll see how that applies to us and how we can be convicted and how we can be made new and changed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that even as you gave this parable to your people to help them to learn and to grow and 
to know who you are and the generosity and grace that you've shown us, but also to help us to see who we are and uh, our fallen selfishness. Lord, that you would remind us of your grace and the goodness of your calling, that we would be people able to bear up, to really, really see the depth of our sin, our need for you, and to be filled with a, a love and conviction to serve you better and to bring the good news to those in the world who don't know you. In your name we pray these things. Amen. So I want to do something to start to help this to really hit for us. Because we can read it, you get the sense a denarius is an amount of money. Right? But we don't, I don't have any denarii. I don't know how you make it pronounce, uh, plural. That may not even be right. I've never used one. I don't have any in my pocket. I don't have a feel for it. If it said 20 bucks, I'd have a feel for it. If it said 100 bucks, if it said $1,000, I don't have a sense of that. There's also a way in which this idea of the workers out in the square, that's not the way our culture works today either. So I don't, I don't really have a sense of their situation. So while this works for us as it is in terms of understanding the relative pay, there's some ways that we can make this hit us a little better. Now, for most of us, the kind of big time period for us on need of money is about a month. You know, a lot of places pay every two weeks, but really it's monthly that we have to pay credit card bills, monthly we have to pay rent, monthly that we have all of the other bills come due. For people in this time period, a lot of that would really have been very daily. They were working day to day where we work month to month. So one of the things to do is, I think, to help to feel what's going on here is translate this from a day into a month. Now, we can still divide out the timeline in a similar way. So the first hour, we're talking about approximately a 12, really a 12-hour workday that the people would have been would have been going through. So the idea of the first hour, that beginning of the day, that would have been about 6 o'clock in the morning. The third hour would be about 9 o'clock. The sixth hour, about noon. And these 11th hour people, that was 5 o'clock and the day was going to end at 6. Now you might say, I'd like to be one of those people. But they didn't think that they were going to get a full day's wage for that. So now if we put that into our own time scale, imagine that you needed money And it was the beginning of the month and you needed to get a job. All right. You're looking for a job. You got to, it's a big deal. I've got to get some work. I got to make my payments for this month. But you're not desperate yet. Three hours in, so call it most of a weekend. Now you're starting to get worried because if the jobs pay what you need, and we'll get to that in just a second, uh, something's, I'm going to miss on something. I might have a bill I have to let go late. I don't know where I'm going to finagle things. I might have to roll over some credit card payments. The sixth hour, halfway through the month, this isn't, this isn't good. I'm, I'm scared. The ninth, now the eleventh, at that point in time when you're looking at try to, trying to make the money that it will take to be able to pay the bills for the month, in the eleventh hour, You are desperate. And really, frankly, you're hopeless. It's surprising there were still people out there. At that point in time, you might be saying, forget it. I've got no way. There is no way that I can get what I need. And that's the second part of this. This denarius is not really an amount of money that we think through, but that's what it represented is the amount you got paid for a day's labor. It was a day's labor. So if you convert that into a month's labor, and all of us have different 
kinds of needs in terms of our monthly expenses, but to really make this fit, make it what you need, bare minimum, to survive for the month. And now think this through. So these workers are coming in, some of them, all of them know, I need that to live today. We don't live that way very much in South Florida, in America, day to day to day, just needing to make enough to survive. But that's what this would have represented. These workers would have been people needing that denarius to be able to live through that day. So, with that in context, we can start to see these workers that are out there, they're, they've got a little higher sense of urgency than we might just trying to get one day's pay. Most of us in South Florida, if we miss out on a day of work, even if we don't get paid, it's really not that big a deal. But for these people, one day not being paid may very well have meant one day of not eating at all. And one day of not eating at all may have meant the next day not being strong enough to work well. So that it could cycle pretty quickly into desperate, desperate times. This is a parable not about a little bit of extra money for some people. This is a parable about desperate need and getting paid. So now with that in mind, let's let's talk about some of what this teaches about the kingdom of God. With, With a better sense of where things are, let's talk about what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. So there's there's three things that we're going to say that this teaches about the kingdom of God. The first one is that grace is perfect. The second one is that grace is generous. And the third one is that it's never too late. So the first one, grace is perfect, that's in this idea of a denarius. The people who were listening would have heard the denarius as being exactly what I needed. Exactly what I needed. The people at the beginning of the day needed a denarius to meet the day's need. The people in the third hour needed a denarius to meet the day's need. The people in the sixth hour needed a denarius. The people in the ninth hour, the people in the eleventh hour without any hope at all and maybe convinced that there was no way they would eat that day, they needed one denarius. And what did the foreman give? He gave them all perfectly and exactly what they needed. Now, somebody might want to say, well, wait a second, that's actually not a real great example of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is so much more than what we need. It's eternal life. That's so much more. But we are people made to live eternally with God and what we all need is eternal life. And when people start wrangling about how big their house is going to be in heaven or whether they get to sit at the right hand of God the Father, that's when they've moved into more than what we need. What we need is eternal life. And what did all of these workers get? They got perfectly and exactly what they needed. Grace is perfect. And what Christ offers to you is perfectly and exactly what you need. But the second thing is that grace is generous. Now there's a way in which this kind of idea of grace being perfect might seem like, well, that's not generous, but here we see it. In this case... In this case, in the parable, only one group of workers had earned what they had given. Now, we can separate that out from the gospel, 
where none of us will have earned it. We'll talk about that at the end. But only one group had earned what they were given. This was an earthly need, and they had done earthly work. Everyone needed a denarius. But most had not earned it. Even though, to the workers, it may not have seemed quite as unfair for those who came in at the third hour, even those who came into the third hour didn't deserve a full denarius. The foreman, the owner, the person who hired the workers, went far away and above what they had earned. Now, the, the people in the audience would probably not have heard this as being a multi-billionaire for whom it didn't even matter and he could give the money away to whomever he wanted. This would have been real money to them. This act of generosity would have occurred to them as being sacrificial on the part of the foreman. And on the one hand, it's true that the overflow of God's work on the cross is an infinite supply of righteousness that can be applied to people. That was sacrificial also. Jesus sacrificed mightily to be able to give us the payment that is perfect to our need which all of us have grace is generous and grace is costly the foreman made costly payment and he made it for us that we could be generously given more than we deserve that perfectly meets our eternal need Okay, so the, the audience originally would have heard this. This is perfectly meeting the needs of the people. And man, this is generous, costly grace. This is amazing what's being offered to us in terms of the kingdom of God. But the last point, and the point that I think we need to hear, all of us, if we have any doubt about Christ's work in our life, and I know there are people outside of here that need to hear this from you, it's never too late. Imagine how you would feel. Imagine how you would feel four and a half weeks into a month and you hadn't worked a day. You knew the mortgage was coming. Maybe some of the bills had already started coming in with the deadline dates on there. You knew that even if you worked every single day for the rest of the month, the two or three days left, you could hardly cover the power bill and the water bill. Would you even be looking anymore? Would you just have given up and quit? At least these workers were in the square, but they would have been thinking, it is too late for me. It's too late for me. It's too far gone. The debt is too deep. That can happen to us by age. Certainly there can be people who just say, I have lived too long without Christ. I'm too close to death without Christ. It's too late for me now. But there are people who would be saying it just because of the depth of their sin. The sin is too great. I've hardly been alive at all, but now that I see what the gospel demands, I know how far away I am from this, and there's no way I can do it. There's no way God can do it. There's no way God would love me. There's no way God would forgive me. There's no possible way that He could be for me. But this is really clear. Even at the last minute, even when it's hopeless, when you know your need and you know there's no way you could possibly earn it. The gospel, the kingdom of God says it's never, never, never too late. 
by age or by amount of sin, the kingdom of God never says, it's too late for you. So this foundation of the kingdom of God, the message there comes out of this idea of what heaven is and who God is and what he'll give to us, what he offers us. He offers us perfectly what we need. He offers it to us generously above anything we could ever earn. And he offers it to us any time, no matter what we've done, no matter how long it's been, no matter how deep the debt. It's perfect. It's generous. And it's never too late. But the thing about this story that's interesting to me is while you hear it, there are a lot of ways you could have told that story. But we don't just hear a, a story of workers. And, you know, if I just said that part, we could all get really happy and say, yeah, that sounds great. I love it. We should love it. Right? The gospel of grace is one that we should love. It should all be happy. When you tell this parable, it really doesn't make you immediately happy. In fact, I'll tell you, really interesting thing happened to me in college with a professor who was not in any way intending to tell a gospel message. And it was an illustration of this parable in everyday terms. And what it caused was not great joy. What it caused was a lot of frustration and anger. And people going, what's wrong with you? That's not fair. So here was what happened. I was at, I was at an engineering school, Georgia Tech. And at that point in time, everybody wanted to be a chemical engineer. That wasn't because anybody knew what chemical engineers did. That was because when we got the list of the engineering degrees that paid the most when you graduated, by like $230, chemical engineering was above anything else. And so everybody came in as a chemical engineer. Now, Georgia Tech is a heartless institution. It makes engineers, and I guess that's considered, you know, fair game. But what I mean by that is Georgia Tech didn't want to counsel you out of the degree program. Georgia Tech wasn't going to come to you and say, you know, I know you want to be a chemical engineer, but really, looking at what you've done, you might be better off in industrial engineering or mechanical engineering, or have you considered not being an engineer? <laughs> well, that wasn't part of the plan at Georgia Tech. The Georgia Tech plan was, yeah, if you can cut it, you've cut it. If you haven't, you haven't. And because chemical engineering was overpopulated, they made the classes particularly difficult. So points were at a premium. The Georgia Tech method was fail you out of the degree program and into management. <laughs> that was what it was there. Well, so you were desperate. And it was competitive. It felt competitive. Because not only were you fighting yourself against the grade, but most of the grades were on a curve. Points were at a premium. So this professor had somebody coming on to campus to speak on a topic, and I don't, I don't have any recollection of what it was. But he said to the class, if you go and listen to this lecture, I'll give you extra credit. Now, extra credit pretty well didn't exist when I was in college. Extra credit, there's something that's really broken about extra credit in school in general, but extra credit did not exist for us at Georgia Tech. So this was a big deal an offer for extra credit just by going to a lecture. So a lot of people went. But the professor forgot to hand out an attendance form. So when he got back, when everybody got back into class the next time, he handed out an attendance form and said, write down whether you went or not. 
So it went all the way around the room and everybody wrote down yes or no and he got it back and he said, this is what I'm going to do. If you went, I'm giving you the five points that I told you I would give you. Sorry. If you said, if you wrote down, I went, I'm going to give you the five points I promised. But if you wrote down, I didn't go, I'm giving you ten. Boom! (laughs) Just an explosion of anger at the injustice of this, and how could you do that? But here's the really amazing thing when you think about it. Number one, it's extra credit, so nobody deserved it at all. But number two... If you were promised five points for going and you went, what did you get? You got what you were promised. Why? The only thing that could make anybody angry is that somebody else got more than they deserved. And it made people angry. Like there wasn't just a little bit of ha 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 that was funny. This, I mean, I'm hearing about it because people are talking about it outside of class. They're arguing about it. They're having fights about it. And the thing that's really amazing to me is there's a lot of sin that I can hear about and I can kind of think, you know, I wouldn't do that. Or it's not really that bad. I've got a little bit of temptation to that, but it's not really that bad. I, 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 I pretty much am not that bad there. Or, or even I know it. And I'm fighting against it. But in this case, with this kind of weird, unfair jealousy, i got to tell you, I'd be right there with these guys going, why'd you give them a denarius? I worked all day and you gave me a denarius. How did you not give me more? But think about how crazy that is. These would have been the people standing next to you in the square looking for work. All of you together would have known, we need to have a denarius to live. And I'd be, oh, I got picked up early. I got hired early. I'm going to get my denarius. And if we were people of love for each other, we'd be thinking, oh, I really hope everybody else gets work today. And then going into the end of the day, like people knowing about somebody at the very end of the month without having made enough to live, we'd be thinking, we'd be praying. This would be somebody who was talking to us and saying, there's only, there's only two days left and I haven't worked this month. The rent is coming. I don't know what to do. And we'd be saying, man, I'm going to pray for you. I hope God brings some work. But then God brings the work. The person gets the work and they get paid just as much as you for the whole month. And all of that prayer, I hope you get this done. What? That's not fair! (laughs) I think this is amazing how clearly this reveals something that's really messed up in us. told you to look in Romans 12. And uh, if you look at verse 9, we're going to read a larger part. In Romans 12, Paul talks a little bit about how the community of the church ought to look. So if you're not there, that's fine. You can just listen along. But if you want to look, Romans 12, verse 9. And there'll be some parts that fit into this and some parts that don't. But the overall message is pretty good for our community. So we'll go with a little larger than just the one verse we need. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, so this picture, remember, the parable here is given to an audience like this. Right? These are people who are following Christ. This would be a Jewish audience. They'd be people who would be in the covenant family. So this parable is given to an audience like this one. Now, it's newer news. Right? Jesus is coming and he's presenting the gospel of grace in a way that is unexpected to the Hebrew people. So it's newer news than it is for us, but it's still an audience like this. Jesus is giving a parable to teach about the perfection and the generosity of grace, but he's doing it in a way that makes us go, man, do I rejoice with people who rejoice? Think about those guys that got it at the 11th hour. They'd be coming into church and saying, this is so amazing. It was the last second. I just about, I was going to miss my rent. I was going to get kicked out. I wasn't going to be able to pay my credit card bill. I wasn't going to eat next month. I didn't know what was going to happen. It's so amazing. God gave me a job and the job paid everything I needed, even though I only worked two days. And we should all say immediately, wow, that's amazing. That's great. But it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. We get kind of, we get kind of selfishly, weirdly jealous of good stuff for others. So in this section for us today, we learn a couple of things about ourselves. The first one is that while we ought to celebrate other people's blessings, I think if you're honest with yourself, and some of you may be really good at this, this may be there's a danger, there's always a danger of saying we're all like this when you're standing in the front, because it may be that everybody looks out, looks at you and says, I don't think that's just you. But I don't think this is just me, even if some of you are probably better at rejoicing in other people's blessings. I have a weird way of wanting to rejoice, but more being jealous when people have gotten a blessing that's above my own. The second thing is that we learn here. We ought to be rejoicing with those who rejoice. We ought to be celebrating other people's lessons, and it's hard. second thing is, we may talk like we want grace, but we kind of don't. See, think about these guys that are mad that those who waited until the last minute got the full kingdom of God. Those workers didn't want grace. They knew it. They felt it. They understood the need. This parable makes us all equal in knowing the need. The need was a full denarius. And if you had been asked prior to it being given out, how much does your friend need a denarius? And how much is he probably going to get? Like a tenth of a denarius. And what's going to happen? He's going to go hungry. And do you want him to have a denarius? Yes, I do. But as soon as he gets it, what? but I should get even more. Sometimes we really don't want grace for others. We really don't want grace for others. The worst cases of that can be people, and I I don't think this happens a lot, but I think it can happen sometimes, where we, we really honestly don't want the gospel message to be given to some people because they have hurt us or hurt others so much. We don't want to forgive them in our own lives, and we honestly don't really want God to forgive them either. I I don't know how common 
that is. But I, I know it happens. The, even in the 11th hour, even for people who have for 11 hours, our picture here is of them just not working. But even for those who have spent the 11 hours hurting themselves and those around them, the gospel is still for them. We should still want them to hear it. And we should still want to rejoice with them in forgiveness. But, but one of the things about that is, it's not just that we don't always want grace for others. It kind of reveals that we don't really want grace for ourselves. See, you think about those first workers, and I mentioned it earlier. They actually had earned their wages. Right? In the parable, the early morning workers, they'd earned their wages. But with respect to the kingdom of God, none of us have earned our wages. When we get angry that somebody else got more, we're actually taking a position not of recognizing that we are the 11th hour workers. We're pretending like we're the start of the day workers. In our hearts, we deserve it. In our minds, we deserve it. Now, I don't mean overtly. We're not saying, I deserve to go to heaven but that it reveals in us an attitude that says it really isn't about grace. We don't know that we have it. We can understand the gospel really, really well, and we can have cognitive knowledge that it's about grace, but having that turned down into who we are is hard. I'll give you an example of this that's very material, and I don't know if this is true for all of you, but I know it's true for me many times. 10, 20, 30 times in my life, I've had somebody stand up and explain how blessed really all of us in the United States are. How blessed we are relative to the rest of the world. How blessed we are to be here with clothes, to not be worried about whether we're going to have food for after church, to not be worried about whether we're going to have food for this week, to have cars that we arrived in, to have a place that, that we are, by being here, Blessed more than 90 to 95% of the people alive today and blessed more than 99% of the people who've lived in all of history. I've been told that. I know that that is true. I believe that that is true. I know that at a worldly sense, forgetting about the kingdom of God in heaven, I am incredibly blessed. That has never made me feel blessed. It's made me understand, it's made me feel guilty for not feeling blessed, but I have in me a baseline of expectation that starts with right where I have right now and puts myself in the role of the worker starting at 6 o'clock in the morning and saying, everything I've got I earned and deserve. And it's not fair that you've got a little bit more. This is a... This is always a struggle, but right now, when I listen to the culture of our country and in our churches, this is everywhere. This idea that there's something wrong with anybody having more than me, but that completely ignores how much more we, and whatever the we is, whoever the person is that's speaking, if they're here in this country speaking out, they're completely ignoring the level of blessing that they have comparatively 
there is always a little more. There is real injustice. There is real problem. There is real... I mean, it's, there are real awful things about the world. And there are real blessings that other people have that we don't have. But, and I think this is one of the last things that we really get revealed to us in here, we don't actually want fair. When I hear people talk about justice, when I hear them talk about fairness, the reality is we don't really want fair. The workers at the start of the day got fair. They got fair. They didn't want fair. They wanted more. They wanted more. Now, it works in reverse. Not only do I get mad when I look up to people who have more than me, but because I think I deserve what I got, I'm not generous the way I ought to be. When I hear people speaking about what I have as if I shouldn't, when I put myself in the situation of the start of the day worker, That makes me mad. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to give up of what I've been given. I don't want to see it as a gift. I earned this. I deserve this. That guy's got even more than me. I should be able to keep this. Don't ask me for anything of what I've got. This is my denarius. And I should get to keep it. If you remember... I remember the last time I was here probably better than you guys do because I was only here once for the book of James. But if you remember, if you were here, in the book of James, James talks about the law being a mirror. And it was this one little bit that was really weird. I couldn't understand it at first, which is always great when you're preaching. But it came together about the same speed as the pneumonia did. I I was able to get there on it. James talks about a guy who looks that the law is like a man who looks in a mirror and then walks away and doesn't do anything. It's like, what, what do you mean exactly by that? But he says, the looking into God's righteousness, looking into the law reveals stuff about us. This parable doesn't just teach us that the kingdom of God is perfect, generous, and it's never too late with respect to grace. It's also a mirror that we can look into and have some really ugly things revealed about ourselves. Now, if you're like me, hearing about how blessed I am, it won't make you immediately fixed. That's never just turned me into a person immediately full of gratitude. But it's made me aware in a new way of how much I don't have gratitude. This parable, the way Christ has set it up, should be a comfort to us in the blessed message that it gives us about the grace of God that we've received. But it should also be hard on us. Because when we look at the infinite rewards of heaven, we need to remember that we're worse than the 11th hour people. The 11th hour guys had earned something. And if heaven's demand is perfection, and I look into this even now wanting, I want to be a person who rejoices when you're rejoicing. I want to be that guy. I'm not. I'm the guy who would have been in that chemical engineering class, gone to the lecture, earned my five points, and been angry somebody else got ten. And they would have been my friends. They would have been people that I wanted to have do well. 
They would have been people that I said I wanted blessings for. When I look in the mirror of this parable, I'm reminded of the good news of the gospel, but I'm also reminded of how deeply and desperately I need it. So as you go and apply this, the first part is to remember, you you have to first remember how unbelievably perfect and generous the gospel is. And if you're here and you haven't set your life before Christ, you haven't asked Him for forgiveness, you haven't repented, you haven't said, I need you, then the part of the parable that's here is it's never too late and you've never done too much. And if you've got people in your lives who need to hear the gospel message, that's the message here for them. It's first a firm foundation of God's grace. It's never too late. You're never too far gone. Grace is always enough. But the second thing as we apply it is to realize we're the 11th hour workers and worse than that. And to go back to Romans 12 and have a vision of what love looks like and realize that no matter how much we've seen God's work in our life, no matter how much we've been sanctified, we continue to struggle. We continue to set aside grace. We continue to struggle with just not feeling like it's really what we need. And as we look in that mirror, to be people who go before God with repentance and say, God, I don't know how to fix this, but I continue to think I deserve this. And please remind me of my sin, even as you remind me of the unbelievable riches of your mercy. Because if you know God's grace is enough to cover your sin, then you can stand up to seeing how big your sin is. It's the only way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use this parable that you gave to us, to people like us, to people who were your people, who were in your kingdom, to remind us of the infinite glories of the the grace that you've shown us, the depth of the sacrifice of your work on the cross, and Lord, that you'd also use it in the way that you gave it to us, this, this way that brings conviction and shame, that you would that you would use it to remind us that we really struggle with grace and we really feel like we deserve what we have. We get used to blessings and ignore them. Lord, please draw us back to the cross. Remind us of your work. Make us people full of a desire to love those who are part of the kingdom, to rejoice when they are rejoicing, to mourn when they're mourning and to bring the good news to all those around us who don't know you yet. In your name we pray. Amen. So now my prayer as we close is that we would go out into this week living lives before the great God who is working good out of all things for those who are in Him, knowing that we are the 11th hour workers, blessed and redeemed and drawn into the kingdom and given our denarius despite what we deserved. Amen.